0: Thank you to those who listen. Have a seat, please. Exodus chapter 12, are you there? We are going to jump into the text in this new series in just a moment. But first, a story for you. Stories are fun, right? Uh, It was 1990, fall of 1990, my junior year at Westmont. I spent the semester away, um, north of Boston at Gordon College. And. there was there was a large group of us who were at Gordon that semester, um, and one of the f- best parts of it was they they did a lot of weekend trips to show us uh, Californians New England, and so we could enjoy that. And uh, there was one trip in particular that we were all looking forward, and that was the trip to the New York City. And we loaded up a bus very early in the morning, drove the four hours or so down to New York, and we were just pumped to see the Big Apple. The first place we went when they let us off the bus, it was right across the street, the iconic, world-famous toy store, F.A.O. Schwartz. And it was like, oh, I couldn't wait to go there. So we, we all go in there, we're looking around, and I'm just mesmerized. I'm like, I was 19, but I was still like, this place is awesome. Uh, and so somehow I became so enraptured with what I was doing, I didn't notice that the rest of the group actually left. Fred, you were there and you didn't, you didn't <laughs> notice that. So they all left. This was, this was in the pre-cell phone days. And so I have no way of connecting with them. The only thing I know is I'm supposed to meet up in like 12 hours at a McDonald's. And so here, here just total bonehead too. I, I wore for a cold kind of rainy day in New York City, flip-flops, shorts, a very thin sweatshirt. And I got to tell you, I spent those 12 hours just wandering around New York City by myself. Can I get a little sympathy, please? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it it was not my best moment. It was not a great day. Uh, We are spending the next 16 weeks uh, reflecting on Israel's wandering, not in a city, but in in the wilderness, the Sinai Peninsula. Uh, Not for a day, for 40 years almost. Like my time in the city, Israel's uh, wandering in the wilderness was not the period of time as a nation that they would look back and think, oh, those were the best days. It was hard, filled with challenges and struggles. But unlike my time wandering around New York City, Israel's time in the wilderness was not an accident. I want you to remember that as we uh, think through this today. God led them there on purpose And he kept them there for his purposes. It was during this time that God refined his people. God helped them see their need for him in new ways. God helped them to understand their relationship as a people to the the kingdoms of this world. It was there that, that God taught them what it means to be a people who are different and set apart for his kingdom purposes. Now, why are we studying this right now? It's, it's, again, intentional. We thought this would be a, a perfect time. As we enter into another election year cycle, it's a great time for us to study this part of Israel's history. During election years, we're going to hear a lot of advertisements and promotions uh, where candidates not only will ask for your vote, but they'll make us, try to make us afraid of what will happen if they don't receive our vote. We're going to hear a lot of talk about uh, that will try to scare us about what will happen to the economy. What will happen to our education system? What will happen in immigration? What will happen regarding abortion and national defense and all that stuff? Now, hear me. Those things are really important. They deserve our best thinking. And even debate is a great thing. But also hear me on this. We need to be reminded... That our hope is not in any political candidate. It's not in a party. It's not even in America as a nation. Our hope is in the Lord our God and in him alone. That's a good time for an amen, yeah. Today, we're going to look at, at how this group of people ended up in the wilderness to begin with. And then we're going to draw some observations. But first, a little context for those who happen to be newer to this book. This book begins in the very first uh, book, Genesis, with the story of how God created this world. He loves the world that he made. And yet, very quickly, things kind of went sideways. And humanity rebelled against our good and loving God. The next remainder of this whole book is about God's plan to restore and to redeem the world that he loves so much. His method of doing so was, of course, to take one family, Abraham and Sarah, and then the next generation, their son Isaac and his wife Rebecca, and then the next generation, Jacob and his wives and their 12 kids and their families, to to raise up uh, a people through whom he would restore and bless the entire world. That's God's plan. This people later called Israel went down into the land of Egypt because of a famine. And they ended up staying there for over four centuries. They're there a long time, but they went during that time. They went from being a, a group of welcomed guests to a group of enslaved, oppressed people. And the book of Exodus, which we're going to be in today tells this story of God, how he heard their cry, how he came to their rescue. And we're going to stand for the reading a little bit later, but right now, let's just get right into it. If you're in chapter 12, um, look at verses 40 and 41. It tells us right here that the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. And at the end of 40 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. So, Exodus literally means departure or the way out. So from here on, they are moving out from this land of slavery into the wilderness. Now, what's going to happen next? We're not going to read through this part, but just skim through. God tells them immediately that during their time in the wilderness, they are to remember that they weren't always in the wilderness. They, they were brought out by God's powerful hand. So if you look at... Um, Starting in verse 43 of chapter 12, he talks about the Passover meal. Now, what's Passover? Remember, Passover was related to the 10th the and final plague that, that God sent through Moses on, on the land of Egypt that would take all of the firstborn children, human and animal and yet God created a, a safe space, a way out, uh, a protection from that judgment for his people. He told them to, to sacrifice a lamb, use its blood to paint on the door frames, and anybody who went and took refuge beneath that blood would be spared the, the judgment, that the angel of death would pass over their house and not harm them. So they are to, to celebrate this, this memorial meal, to remember God's, mighty salvation. Next, and look at chapter 13, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among people of Israel, both man and beast, is mine. So again, this is another way he's telling them, remember my, the mighty salvation that I accomplished on your behalf before you came in to the land of Egypt. Remember that every time there's a firstborn. Remember that they're God's judgment on their oppressors. And remember God's mercy to you in sparing their firstborn and leading them out of slavery. And then beginning in uh, verse 3 of chapter 13, does your Bible have a little heading over that section? Mine says, the feast of unleavened bread. And everything that comes after that is reminding them about celebrating this annual one week long feast in which they weren't to eat any, uh, food with leaven in it, rising agency. Why? Because when they came out of Egypt, God had, uh, gotten them on the road and they had no time to let their bread rise. And so annually, this week long feast is to remind them again, that God is a mighty savior. And though they are in the wilderness, God has led them there. God has delivered them from the land of slavery. It was no accident. It was the Lord's power, the Lord's kindness. And all these things are a reminder of this. If that's not enough, we see this repeated phrase in chapter 13. Look at it. Uh, The the end of verse 3, he says, uh, You came out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you up from this place. Skip down to verse 8. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand, a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. Skip down to verse 14. And when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, By a strong hand, the Lord brought us up out of Egypt from the house of slavery. Look to verse 16. It shall be as a mark on your hand, frontlets between your eyes. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought you out of Egypt. Are you getting the point? God wants them to remember throughout their time in the wilderness that God is a mighty Savior. And they are there not by accident, but because God has delivered them from slavery. As they are wandering, when things get hard, which inevitably they will, when they feel insecure and afraid of what the future might bring, they are to remember that if it were not for God's kindness, they would still be slaves, but they are no longer a slave. Why? Because God is a mighty Savior. Friends, this is so good. The exodus of Israel from Egypt was... Well, it was just a shadow, just a foretaste of a much greater deliverance of the main event. Their liberation from slavery in Egypt was just a whisper, just a precursor of of the far greater salvation that is ours in Christ. The lamb who was slain, who has won for us victory through his cross. So when we studied Colossians last fall, we came to this this great verse that reminds us that just as they were led out of a, a dark empire into a place of freedom, so we have been. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says this, God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Now listen, for those of you who may be new to the faith, I'm so glad that we're receiving visitors and and friends who who this stuff is is newish to. We're so glad you're here. Listen to what we understand the scriptures teach about who we are. We as Christians believe that, that every man and woman was created in the image of God. That means each person has a special dignity. And yet... We've been infected by this deadly virus called sin. And so humanity, while we each have dignity and, and are immensely loved by God, we are fun, there's something fundamentally not good in us. It's not that we're good and just need a little bit of boost from God, a little bit of help. No, no, no. Without God, the scriptures teach we are doomed to a life of slavery to sin, Of bondage to self and in desperate need of deliverance. Now, you have to understand the bad news before you get the good news. The good news, again, I want you to hear it, is God is a mighty Savior. If you found yourself here today and are overcome with doubt and despair because you have failed over and over again and you just feel hopeless, listen, God is a mighty Savior. There's no power that's greater than his. And out of his deep love for his people, he has done everything that needs to be done to grant forgiveness of sins and to lead us in a way that is pleasing to him, to give us purpose in life. Israel's salvation and our salvation are in no way deserved or earned by us. It is purely by grace. That's where a life of gratitude and trust can begin to grow. And that's what God wants for us. So I've only got two points today. The first one I just hit, I hope you heard it, is that God is a mighty Savior. Can you say that with me? God is a mighty Savior. Here's the second point, though. Very important that we hear this. Those who are saved are just as in need of God as those who are unsaved. That means that we never graduate or move on from a radical dependence on God. We need saving again and again and again. Perhaps the greatest example of this happens right at the beginning of their time journey through the wilderness. And so now I'm going to invite you, if you're able, to stand for the reading of God's word. And we're going to pick it up in chapter 13, verse 17. Here we go. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Now skip over to chapter 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-hahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of baal zephon and you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now skip down to verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here in this wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I've gotten glory over Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, and all gods all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and horsemen too. And in the morning, watch the Lord in a pillar of fire and of cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, "Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians." Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon the chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course uh, when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea, the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host's Of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their left and on their right. Thus the Lord saved Israel on that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power of the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. Now get this. They are so excited. They sing an amazing song of victory celebration, but skip over to chapter 15, verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness, and they found no water. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Have a seat. So, from the moment they begin their journey into the wilderness, God puts them in situations where they are just desperate for his intervention. Did you notice how how God directs them to a place right away in the wilderness that every military strategist would just say is foolish? He has them go back up right against the sea from which they can't retreat or maneuver at all. And this is no accident. And then after this incident, after God's miraculous triumph over the army of of Egypt, the Israelite people had barely finished singing their whoopies and hooray, God, when God again directed them to a place where they felt desperation. There was no water. Friends, I, I want us to see the wilderness that we're going to be spending our time thinking about over the next few months. The wilderness is a place of struggle. The wilderness is a place of of challenge. It's a place that's remote. It is not comfortable. And if you're anything like me, the default setting of your life is to find security and comfort. And they're not going to find that in the wilderness on their own. Now, we do sometimes seek out the wilderness, right? It's called camping, Do you like camping? Yes, we, we go camping to get into the wilderness to explore its beauty. But uh, you know, we, we take our just boxes of stuff, right? And we take our tents, we take our water, we take our food. Uh, we start out taking a little mattress pad, and then when you get my age, you graduate into bringing your air mattress that you pump up in your car. Anybody there? Yeah? No? Okay. Uh, anyway, we we go into the wilderness, but we try to make it as unwilderness like as we can in our tents anyway. Uh, But how would you feel if you found yourself in such a place without all your REI gadgets, without the supplies that you need? How would you feel then if you found yourself in the wilderness unprepared? Years ago, my family went on a camping trip, we loaded up the minivan. I can't remember which national parks we we went to, but as we were heading home, the last stop on our trip was uh, Lava Beds National Monument. Anybody been there? It's right at the top of California, right next to the border of Oregon, and it is remote. But it's got lots of cool, like tunnels and things that were cut through the rock by by lava. And uh, we hit that spot, and then the next morning we got up. And we're going to journey down to the Bay Area where my my parents live, and uh, and spend the night there. So here we are, last you know last day of our camping trip, and I looked at the map, and it, the the big north south highway is to the west of us, and I'm trying to figure this out. And it looks like to get over to the freeway, I was supposed to go east first and then north and then west in order to go south. But there was another way. There seemed to be a little little road that cut the corner, just went southwest to the main freeway. So I said, all right, we're taking that route. And uh you know, Larry's like, you sure that's a good idea? No, it'll be great. So so we get on every out to the first road and everybody turns left and we turn right and uh Start, start going on this road and immediately there's no one else on this little two-lane road. And it is just trees on both sides so we can't really see anything at all. And we start heading up the hill. Up, up, up we go. And uh, you know, Larry's every once in a while saying, are you sure this is a good idea? I don't know. Now, I looked at the gas gauge when we left and it, it said, don't awe me. I looked at the gas gauge. <laughs> That's a responsible thing to do, and I had at least a third of a tank. But, you know, as we start, I don't know if it was because we're not on flat ground anymore and we're going up or because I don't know how long it took. We, it seemed like we got to E pretty quickly. And we're going up, and the pretty soon the kids are like, Dad, I'm not sure this is a very good idea. And it's getting chippy in the car. Okay? Was, I was feeling a lot of angst over this. And uh, it's going to be okay. You know, we just need to get to the top of this hill and then we won't need gas. We'll just coast all the way down. (laughs) And uh, well, at a certain point, there was a break in the trees on the left. And as uh, we all looked out, it was just forest for, it seemed like millions of miles. There was nothing to be seen. There was no little towns, no little gas stations, no signs, anything. It was just, we're in the middle of nowhere. And it was at that point where I realized uh, we should probably... So we turned around and just cruised, you know, coasted down the hill. And we rolled into the one gas station nearby just as we were running on fumes. Anyway, we made it. Set your heart at ease. Uh, Truth be told, though, it was scary. We felt very small, very weak, in need... Truth be told, we don't like it much when God leads us to places like this. When we often just respond like Israel did. Why did you bring me here? But the things that brought, uh, that, that brought to bear on this wilderness journey to Israel, what did they find in the wilderness? They found heat. They found pressure. They found struggle. These are the very things, these are the very indispensable elements of transformation. These are how diamonds are made. God brings his people into the wilderness on purpose to do something beautiful in us. And just think for a minute about a, a master storyteller. What, the, the quickest way to ruin a good story is, is to get all of the conflict and the tension out of the story, right? It's just like, this person was great, and this person was great, and they lived happily ever after. No one will read that story. Because a good story knows that you need to weave in tension and conflict, things that will get resolved at the end with a satisfying uh, note. God is a master storyteller. And he will lead you, he will lead us into the wilderness to do something beautiful in us. Or just think of a a good cook, a good meal that they uh, cook crafts that often has a lot of cutting, a lot of pounding, a lot of heat. Sometimes there's ingredients that, that will be put in something that may taste bitter on their own or flavorless. And you think, why is this in here? I remember learning to make chocolate chip cookies for my mom years ago. And she was like, here's the ingredients. It's got sugar. And I was like, great, sugar. Brown sugar. Oh, yeah. Butter. Oh, eggs. Uh-huh. Chocolate chips. Awesome. Flour. I was like, what's that for? It tastes kind of chalky. It's just white. It's flavorless. Can we make some cookies without flour? She said, you don't want to do that. I do. Let's try it. Okay. She was right. Yeah. <laughs> You know, the things that seem like we don't want them in necessarily are indispensable. And God is like the master chef bringing in ingredients to our lives that we may never choose, but he's making something amazing. The wilderness is like that, friends. The wilderness is a place of challenge, of deprivation, of struggle. But is it a place where God is at work? He leads his people there on purpose. Not as an end in itself, but as a way to bring about something good and beautiful in us. Why? Because He loves us. He wants what's best for us. Estrera Vieja said this We all face things in our life that feel like wilderness. Maybe like David, we can't seem to escape our problems. Like Abraham, we're not sure where to go or what to do. Maybe like Moses, we feel overwhelmed with our responsibilities. Or like Elijah, we're simply burnt out and we're in the wilderness. Do you ever feel like that? Maybe you feel like you're in that place right now. If you are, I'm guessing you would rather not stay in that place too long. I don't blame you, but let me encourage you with this. The wilderness is not only a place of difficulty in the Bible. It is a place of encounter with the living God. It's a place where we meet with God. So listen to Estrella Vieja again. She says, God spoke to Abraham when he was in the wilderness. God brought the Israelites into the wilderness because he wanted to speak to them at Mount Sinai. In the wilderness, God met with Elijah. It was in the desert that God spoke to John the Baptist, who spent most of his life in these rough conditions. Each of these stories is filled with miracles. Their seasons are not wasted. On the contrary, God used these difficult times for something meaningful and powerful. It's in the wilderness where God was present and in the desert where he made himself known. So do you feel like you're in the wilderness today? Hang in there. Be patient because I believe that as we're going to see, God wants to show his power. God wants to show his glory. God wants to show up for us in these very places to transform our lives and to bring us in a place where we can trust him even more. So let me pray for us as we close here. Lord, I want to pray for any this morning who feel like they're in the wilderness. For those struggling with feelings of helplessness, feeling weak, discouraged, desperate from a word for you. Lord, would you make your power known? Would you show up in miraculous ways? And Lord, for all of us, would you reveal your deep love and care? Show us your glory and give us strength equal to our challenges. Give us faith that you are indeed a great savior and you want to free us from everything that would hinder us from living the truly good life that is found in trusting you. Thank you, Lord, that you are for us, that you've defeated our spiritual enemies. You've ransomed us for yourself that we might no longer be slaves, but be called children of the living God. Lord, over the coming months, meet with your church, and may we become more aware of our desperation for you. Lord, grow us. Build your church, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Moses, Abraham, Elijah, these were not the only people to meet with God in the wilderness. Jesus went there, not accidentally, but on purpose. He went there to meet with God, to prepare for 40 days, just as Israel did for 40 years. He went to live there in complete dependence on God. And it was there that he did battle with our enemy, the devil. He prepared himself for the final battle that was to come on the cross. That's what we remember here each week, that the the life of perfect submission Complete trust in the Father. He lived that for us. Not only his death was for us, but his life was for us. And so I invite those of you who know him, who love him, to come and take these elements, this common bread, common wine, that uh, reminds us that God is a mighty Savior. And he can be trusted again and again and again. Let's come and remember the body and blood of Christ that were broken and shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Amen.